Section one hundred and two of the Mysteries of London, Volume Three. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume Three, by George W. M. Reynolds. Sir Christopher Blunt, a hero. It was about midday when an extraordinary rumour began to spread like wildfire throughout the metropolis. The report was that between ten and eleven o'clock that morning, Sir Christopher Blunt and Dr. Lascelles had presented themselves to the sitting magistrate at Bow Street, and had not only communicated to that functionary a surprising account of certain adventures which had happened to themselves, but had likewise placed in his hands a document which proclaimed the innocence of Mr. Torrance, who was lying in Newgate under an accusation of murder. The adventures alluded to were of such an amazing character that, had they been related by persons of a less honourable reputation than Sir Christopher Blunt and Dr. Lascelles, they would have been treated as a pure invention on the part either of maniacs or unprincipled friends of the accused but the known integrity of those two gentlemen gave no scope for even the slightest breath of suspicion and their tale though wonderful was so consistent in all its parts that it was received as one of those truths which are stranger than fiction the entire metropolis was in amazement two respectable gentlemen an eminent physician and a wealthy justice of the peace had been conducted blindfolded to a house where they had received the depositions of two men who confessed themselves to be the murderers of the late Sir Henry Courtenay. There was no appearance of fraud in that confession. The men had been cross-examined apart, and had agreed in the minutest details. Everyone, therefore, believed that Mr. Torrance was indeed innocent, and the city magistrate at Bow Street expressed the same opinion but who was the individual that had caused sir christopher blunt and dr lascelles to be thus made the recipients of the confession of the murderers where was the house to which those gentlemen had been taken what motive was there for screening the assassins why was so much mystery observed in the entire transaction and wherefore had sir christopher and the physician been enjoined to withhold the publication of the matter for twenty-four hours after its occurrence these questions were in everybody's mouth, but no one could suggest anything resembling even the shadow of a satisfactory solution. The weapon with which the crime had been perpetrated, and a portion of the proceeds of the robbery effected at Torrance Cottage at the same time, accompanied the depositions placed by Sir Christopher Blunt in the hands of the magistrate, and a surgeon, on examining the corpse which had been removed to the deceased's house previous to receiving the rites of Christian burial, declared that the throat must have been cut by such an instrument as the one thus produced. But this was not all. The moment the rumour of what had occurred at Bow Street reached the prison of Newgate, the governor hastened to the police office, and submitted to the magistrate the confession made that morning by Mrs. Torrens. This confession not only admitted her guilt in respect to the forgery, but gave such a version of the murder as completely tallied with the depositions made by Timothy Splint and Joshua Pedler. Looking at the entire case as it thus stood, there was no doubt of the innocence of Mr. Torrens, and all that gentleman's friends, who, by the by, 
had hitherto kept aloof from him crowded to newgate to congratulate him on the facts which had transpired the sensation created by the affair throughout the capital was tremendous and when the evening papers were published the copies were greedily caught up in all directions it was a fine harvest for those journalists and their sale that day was prodigious an individual often spoken of but never yet seen namely the oldest inhabitant in the metropolis was duly mentioned on the occasion never said each of the evening papers as if the reporters had all been suddenly struck by the same idea never within the memory of the oldest inhabitant of the metropolis has so extraordinary a case transpired and certainly no event for many years had produced such a powerful excitement animating even the most callous and indifferent dispositions with a desire to know more and setting a-thinking many who had quite enough in their own affairs to occupy all their thoughts the taverns public-houses and coffee-shops became the scenes of loud and interesting discussions but even the knowing ones found no opportunity of displaying their sagacity for the mystery of the whole affair positively defied conjecture but who can the man be that is at the bottom of all this and where can his residence be situated were the questions which every tongue uttered and to which no one could reply that such an extraordinary incident should occur in the metropolis without leaving the faintest trace or the smallest clue to the elucidation of the enigma appeared almost incredible as for sir christopher blunt he certainly did not appear to know whether he stood upon his head or his heels the home secretary sent for him in the course of the afternoon and received from his lips a full and complete statement of the whole occurrence for the government was naturally indignant that any individual should unwarrantably usurp the functions of the proper authorities by holding murderers in their own custody and adopting his own course to prove the innocence of a man in the grasp of justice sir christopher was however unable to afford the slightest information which was likely to lead to the discovery of that individual or of his place of abode on his return to his own house in jermyn street sir christopher found several noblemen and influential gentlemen including three or four members of parliament waiting to see him and he instantly became the lion of the company no pen can describe the immense pomposity with which he repeated his narrative of the mysterious transaction no words can convey an idea of the immeasurable conceit and self-sufficiency with which he described the cross-examination of the murderers in fact the knight made himself so busy in the matter was so accessible to all visitors who were anxious to gratify their curiosity by asking a thousand questions and was so ready to afford the newspaper reporters all the information which he had to impart respecting the incident that no one thought of applying to dr lascelles in a similar manner this circumstance was the more agreeable to the physician inasmuch as he not only disliked wasting his time in gossip but he was well pleased at escaping the necessity of giving vague answers or positive denials in an affair the details of which were in reality no mystery to him to all his visitors sir christopher blunt took care to speak in the following terms you see the individual who is the prime mover in this most extraordinary proceeding required the assistance of no ordinary magistrate he wanted a man of keen penetration 
the most perfect business habits and the highest character a man in a word who would probe the very souls of the two miscreants to be placed before him and on whose report the world could implicitly rely that was the reason wherefore i was pitched upon as the justice of the peace best qualified to undertake so difficult a business sir christopher became a perfect hero as the mysterious stranger had predicted and during the remainder of that memorable day on which the innocence of mr torrens was proclaimed jermyn street was literally lined with carriages the common destination being the knight's abode so that a stranger in the metropolis would have supposed that such a scene of animation and excitement could only be occasioned by the arrival of some great foreign prince or that the prime minister lived in that house and was holding a levee when all sir christopher's visitors had retired and he found himself alone in his drawing-room at about half-past ten that evening he threw himself on a sofa exclaiming aloud egad that old fellow who knocked down the irish captain and afterwards turned out to be a young man was quite right i am a hero a regular hero this popularity is truly delightful i really do not envy the duke of wellington his having won the battle of waterloo no indeed not i sir christopher blunt is a greater man than his grace although only a knight scarcely had the worthy gentleman arrived at this very satisfactory conclusion when mr lickspittle entered the room holding his portfolio in his hand and bowing so low at every third step which he took in advancing towards the knight that it really seemed as if he were anxious to ascertain how close to the floor he could put his nose without rolling completely over like the clown at astley's my revered patron began mr lickspittle i have taken the liberty of bringing the first half-dozen pages of the manuscript of the pamphlet the deuce take the pamphlet mr lickspittle shouted sir christopher leaping from the sofa and in the exuberance of his joy kicking the portfolio from the literary gentleman's hands up to the ceiling so that the papers all showered down upon the head of their author who stood amazed and aghast at this singular reception but in the next moment it struck the discomfited mr lickspittle that sir christopher blunt had suddenly taken leave of his senses or in other words had gone raving mad and he rushed to the door stop stop cried sir christopher darting after him what the deuce is the matter with the man no don't don't injure me roared mr lickspittle falling upon his knees as the knight caught him by the arm injure you my good fellow exclaimed sir christopher surveying him with the utmost amazement what could possibly put such a thing into your head i'm not angry with you i'm only mad i know you are cried mr lickspittle in a tone of horror while his countenance expressed the most ludicrous alarm yes mad literally mad insane my dear fellow vociferated sir christopher quitting his hold upon the literary gentleman and absolutely dancing round him oh lord oh lord groaned mr lickspittle still upon his knees and nailed by terror to the spot insane mad with joy cried the knight but get up and don't be frightened i am not angry with you but i suppose that the idea of entering the presence of a man like me is too much for you my poor fellow added sir christopher stopping short in the midst of his capering antics and surveying the literary gentleman with immense commiseration oh only mad with joy murmured mr lickspittle 
considerably relieved by the assurance and starting to his feet then dexterously catching at the suspicion which sir christopher in his boundless self-conceit had expressed the literary gentleman suddenly resumed his usual cringing manner and said in a tone of deep veneration pardon me my excellent patron if for a moment overcome by your presence the presence of a man whose name is upon every tongue say no more about it my good fellow cried the knight with all the bland condescension of a patron to tell you the truth i am quite beside myself with joy and i should not expose myself thus to any one save yourself you are however a privileged person behind the scenes as it were and you know how necessary popularity is to me egad mr lickspittal i little thought when i began life as a poor boy that i should one day become a great-a very great meekly suggested the sycophant a very great man added sir christopher emphatically as he surveyed himself in a neighbouring mirror i tell you what mr lickspittal those vulgar citizens of portsoken must now be ready to cut their throats a person did expire in that ward very suddenly to-day sir christopher observed the literary gentleman drawing upon his imagination for this little incident which he knew would prove most welcome to the knight's vanity and there's every reason to suppose that his death was caused by vexation no doubt of it exclaimed the justice of the peace playing with his shirt frill don't you see that there will now be no necessity for the pamphlets here mr lickspittle's countenance fell but you shall write instead continued the knight a complete narrative of my most romantic and extraordinary adventures here mr lickspittle's countenance brightened up again no you shan't though cried his patron an idea striking him again the sycophant's brow became overcast you shall write the history of my life added sir christopher and again the literary gentleman's brow expanded yes yes the life and times suggested mr lickspittal the life and times of sir christopher blunt exclaimed the knight triumphantly in three volumes large octavo with portraits added the sycophant egad that's a capital suggestion of yours the portraits i mean said sir christopher but you must show that although i began the world with nothing yet i am of an ancient and highly respectable family certainly my dear sir there was no doubt of blunt at crecy or agincourt observed mr lickspittal at all events it is easy to say there was and in a note put see manuscripts british museum that is the way we always manage in such cases my dear sir christopher the british museum is a most convenient place what to write in asked the justice of the peace no sir to furnish pedigrees for those who haven't got any ah i understand cried sir christopher chuckling capital capital well my good fellow set about the life and times directly but by the by i wish the work to begin something in this way it was on a dark and tempestiferous night the wind roared the artillery flew in fitting gusts the streaming shafts of electricity shot across the eccentric sky and so on that's a pretty sentence you perceive and being entirely my own composition striking me in fact at the moment and not suggested by any other person it does you infinite credit sir christopher 
interrupted Mr. Lickspittle, with an obsequious bow, and with a little correction. Oh, of course, you will use your discretion. Well, now we understand each other, Mr. Lickspittle, and you will begin the work immediately. Of course, you must introduce a great quantity of correspondence between myself and the leading men of this age, but who are now all dead. Have you such letters by you, sir? inquired the literary gentleman. Not I! ejaculated Sir Christopher Blunt, speaking bluntly indeed. Oh, that's no matter. I can easily invent some, observed Mr. Lickspittle. I thank you most sincerely for your kind, your generous patronage, my dear Sir Christopher. In fact, I can never forget it. I, I, and Mr. Lickspittle, by way of working his sycophancy up to the highest possible pitch, or shall we not say, down to the lowest degree of self-abasement, affected to burst into tears and rushed from the room. "'Poor fellow, he's quite overcome by his feelings,' murmured Sir Christopher to himself. "'That's what I call real gratitude now.' And having mused upon this and diverse other matters for some few minutes, the worthy knight went upstairs to see his affectionate spouse and the baby, ere he retired to his own apartment." End of section 102